Welcome to Deadly Serial. I am Lee Moffat. With me, as always, is my lovely sister, Laura Dedrick, and welcome. How's everybody doing today? How are you doing today? Me? Yeah, you. Excellent. It's been a good day. Um, it's been a good week. It's been pretty quiet, which has been nice. Uh, you know, kind of slow at work, which is cool, and just getting ready for Christmas. Dude, Christmas time's coming right around yeah. the corner. I'm yeah. not prepared. Uh, you know, trying to stay in the holiday spirit and not be overcome with existential dread during these difficult times. Or debt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's another one right there. Good God. That's a big one. That is a big one. Yeah. So, well, how about you? What, what's going on with you? I'm tired. I bet. I'm surprised you got that bed up. Last time I talked to you, you were uh, pretty frustrated. That <laughs> I was. All you have to do is just get up, walk around. I had a piece of pizza. That's what I said. That's like, yeah. So I, I was thinking right back to it, and I was like, "Duh, dumbass, this is backwards." You just I'm gotta put it back right. Yeah, step away for a second. But there were no instructions. There were no words. There were just letters and numbers and pictures. That's a lot of stuff now. It's just. A diagram with labeled parts. I'm not into it. I need somebody to, I need words. Like, put uh, the thing in the thing. I can't even do words. I have to watch somebody do it. I have to YouTube everything. Yeah. But, Well, you YouTube know. is, I don't know how we lived without YouTube. It's awesome. I mean, I installed that bidet. Of everything <laughs> I know is from YouTube. Yeah. I installed that bidet all by myself, and I don't do shit like that. So, that was pretty cool. Handy woman. I know, right? Who needs uh, anybody? No one. <laughs> That's what Josh said. He's like, well, you don't need me anymore. I'm like, you're goddamn right. <laughs> oh, goodness. And YouTube. Definitely YouTube. YouTube. Definitely YouTube. So this case is interesting. This case is very... Um, confusing and detailed and well confusing it's it's just a mess it is a it's mess scattered all over the place it's full of mystery and mayhem and shrouded evidence unsolved yes yes a lot unsolved. of a lot of uh unsolved or a lot of unanswered questions in this week's uh episode for sure this week, we are talking about the Collar Bomb Bank heist. On August 28, 2003, at 2.28 p.m., 46-year-old pizza delivery driver Brian Douglas Wells very casually walks into the PNC Bank in Erie, Pennsylvania. Carrying only a cane and wearing a white t-shirt with the word guest written on it in black marker with a shoebox-shaped protrusion visible from under his shirt. Now he is looking kind of sus. A little bit. And everybody around him seems kind of chill. Yeah. They don't think they notice. No. They, they But who would the, think that? Who would yeah, who would exactly. Think that someone has a collarbone. Well, and you see the video like the security and it's very obvious, but my first reaction would be like maybe it's like a medical thing, like I don't want to buy. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like oh, what yeah. if it's something like like a halo type situation. I don't know, but Perfect. yeah, but yeah, it was pretty calm. Um, 
he slid several pages of very intricate and specific instructions to the teller. It said, gather employees with access codes to vault and work fast to fill bag with $250,000. You only have 15 minutes. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. Absorb in 15 minutes. Yes. So she actually does comply and informs them that the safe has a timer. There's no way that she can get him into the vault and give him that much money in the time frame that he has, you know, to not get caught. Um, So she does hand him a bag that has $8,702 in it, which was all that was in the register. He takes the money and a dumb, dumb sucker and walks out of the bank. I wonder what flavor it was. Root beer, probably. Ugh, right? Probably, yeah. Ugh, gross. The cops found him almost immediately. After they handcuffed him, he mumbled something about a bomb. The officer quickly inspected the device wrapped around Wells's neck, and sure enough, it was a bomb. The officers back away, drawing their firearms on Wells. He starts yelling at the cops. He's like, it's, it's going to go off. You know, read the notes. Did you get the key? Yeah. I'm, I'm not well, lying. Not, like, he's not panicked. He's not panicked, though. He's just sitting like Indian style in the street, you know, surrounded by cop cars. Like, hey, hey, you know, call my boss off me. Yeah. When, why aren't you getting this off of me? So then the beeping starts. And I think that he really realized that it was real when the beeping started. You can see it. He, you he can see. Him. Yeah. His whole demeanor changes. It's like he's trying to back away from the bomb, but it's oh. around his neck. I mean, it's, it's fucked up. Psychologically, then, that's got to that's gotta fuck you up. I can't. Um, how terrifying. You just, you know, you're going to die in a matter of seconds. You're going to be exploded it's a saw movie yeah it's messed up at 3 18 p.m the explosion rocks the area so the bomb went off and it actually flipped brian on his back fire and debris covered the pavement um brian dies almost instantly in the middle of the street in front of several reporters with cameras his last minutes were captured in complete detail to be shared on international news because this was a big deal. Nothing like this has ever really happened before. Certainly not on camera. Yeah, it was a big deal globally. So three minutes later, the bomb squad arrived. And it was obviously three minutes three minutes too late. So that was unfortunate that they were stuck in traffic. <laughs> <clears throat> traffic is a killer. It gets you, you know. <sighs> slow and go, slow and go. Watch out for brake lights. Yeah. So as the police began to collect evidence at the scene, they discovered Brian's cane in his car, which turned out to be a single shot, 10 gauge loaded shotgun. This thing's pretty cool looking. It's very cool. It it was clearly homemade. Um, Yeah, it was a cane. That was a friggin' shotgun. So that's what he had when he went into the bank. Yeah, it it was fully functional. Like the FBI tested it. They tested it. It was ready to go. Yeah, it was loaded and ready to be fired. Um, It looks like an antique. It's really cool, (laughs) actually. (laughs) It's kind of badass. Um, There in his car, they they also found the notes given to Wells, instructing him uh, how to rob the bank and where to go after the robbery. Uh, the instructions had hand-drawn detailed maps and notes, like very detailed, like pictures and 
just super intricate and a lot of work was put into it. So uh, yeah, lots of maps, there were notes. And the, it said that if Wells did what they wanted him to do, that he would be able to retrieve the key and the combination to the bomb. So this was basically a guide to one really fucked up scavenger hunt and the prize was his life. Yes. The notes also said, there is only one way you can survive and that is to cooperate completely. This powerful booby-trapped bomb can be removed only by following our instructions. Act now, think later, or you will die. Now this is an amazing distraction. Yes. It is. So whoever thought of this is almost smart. A smart cookie. Yeah. Almost. For sure. Yeah. So they found the notes. They found the, uh, his gun cane. And, and then, of course, was the evidence of what was left of the collar bomb, as they started calling it. This was a homemade device as well. There were two parts to the bomb. It had uh, a metal collar with four keyholes and a three-digit combination lock. There was also an iron box with two six-inch pipe bombs. The collar was placed around Wells's neck. It basically looked like a big handcuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The bomb also contained several trick wires used to fool anyone who would attempt to disarm it. And uh, it had two kitchen timers and one electronic timer. Investigators actually had to make the hard decision to remove Brian Wells's head in order to keep the device intact as much as possible for evidence. Yeah, that's that's hard uh, to make that that's call. Terrible. Yeah, that's real, rough. Real hard call to make. Yeah, and that again, this happened in front of everyone in the middle of the street in the middle of daylight. This guy just blew up. I think that they could have taken evidence. I I, I don't know. It, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a messy situation. It is a, a very messy situation. So they found the directions. Uh, and the police actually tried to follow the directions that were left in the notes given to Wells. The first direction was exit the bank with the money and go to the McDonald's restaurant. Get out of the car and go to the small sign reading drive through slash open 24 hours in the flower bed. And they had drawn the little McDonald's drive through sign. Like almost, it was a really good drawing. Like they were so, so fucking detailed. It was crazy. It was crazy detailed. And even the writing looked like scary. And yeah, it, it, it looked, it looked really good. It did definitely Google it. It's, 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 and very, very interesting to look at everything. It's, uh, there's it's crazy. Uh, about five pages, I believe. Yeah. And, uh, it's different. There's uh, different instructions for different people. It's, it's just, it's a mess. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it definitely is. So uh, in the, they went to the McDonald's. Okay, in the flower bed, by the sign, there was a rock with a note taped to the bottom. It has your next instructions. So Wells did manage to make it this far in the 15 minutes between the bank robbery and his arrest. He retrieved the note from the flower bed and it directed him to Peach Street, in a wooded area a few miles away. There was a container with orange tape that would have had the next instructions. Wells was caught before he could get to the next clue, but the police did find it. 
In the uh, container, they found a note telling them to go two miles south to a road sign where the next clue would be. But when the police got there, they found the jar, but it was empty. Yeah, there's nothing in it. So question, do you think that they came back for it once they found out that Brian had been caught? Or do you think there was never a clue there in the first place? I believe, I don't know, realistically, I believe that there wasn't anything in there because the whole thing couldn't be done in 15 minutes to begin with. Yeah. And just to process what you need to do takes longer than 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I I don't think that most of it was just, you know, time wasting. It's a whole big rabbit hole here. Yeah. Let's take it back to before the bomb went off. Okay. Brian Douglas Wells was born on November 5th, 1956. Growing up, he dropped out of school early. It just wasn't for him. Um, He was a very social person. He was friendly and outgoing, a really likable guy. Uh, He could be described as childlike, naive, and easily influenced by others. He also really liked scavenger hunts. Yeah, I think that's cool. That is cool, but it's messed it's kind of, up <laughs> it's, I, it's ironic in an extremely dark way it's very darkly ironic for sure but i i don't know i think it's pretty cool not too many people are into scavenger hunts and... i think it's neat i i would like to do a scavenger hunt i don't know eh. maybe well not this one i don't even go outside anymore <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> exactly <laughs> um yeah nothing nothing thanks covid yeah Great. Uh, so Brian was working his shift at Mamma Mia's Pizzeria. Mamma Mia. You know, Mamma Mia. An order came in for two small sausage and pepperoni pizzas for delivery. So Wells was a vet at the pizzeria. He had worked there for, for several years. Supposedly, he only called in late when his cat died. Dude, I think, didn't he call in or did he call in late? I just saw late, but my dog ran away for a day and we shut everything down. We we like both stayed home. Like it was a big hairy deal. I've already decided that when my Sammy dog passes that uh, I'm at least going to take a week off and I'm not going to get another dog for at least a year. It's so it's devastating. I can't imagine like Evie just turned four, Augie's three. And I'm like, they're, they're getting I, those are my babies you know my baby's six oh. plus my son is 10 yeah your real human son is 10 yeah he's 10 <laughs> he's, he's big too it's just crazy it's just uh, i don't like it okay so yeah he only called he called him when his cat died understandable for sure yes so um wells de- agreed to deliver this order even though it was the end of his shift so around 2 p.m he left to deliver the pizzas. He set out traveling on a dirt road that led to a TV transmission tower located in a wooded area off of Peach Street. Uh, Not much evidence was found at the tower scene, but there were footprints left by Wells as well as tire tracks from his car, Geo Metro. As well as evidence of them trying to cover it up. Yes. uh, Yeah. That is, that tells a lot too. It does. It's like they're just a couple steps ahead, you know? 
Yeah, but they're not as smart as they th- think they are because no. they still got all their footprints and tire tracks. Yeah. So they didn't even cover up what they were trying to cover up. I know. So while the authorities were investigating the scene at the tower, they met a man that lived really close to to the tower where Wells delivered the pizza. His name was William Rothstein. This guy's a major, major player. Bill Rothstein. Okay. Uh, to describe him, have you uh, ever seen Crank Acres? <laughs> yes. You remember Bertram? Yes. <laughs> Do you kind of see it? A little bit, yes. For sure. Except Bertram was a war veteran and he's yes. very respectable. This guy, Bill, he's just a piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's a narcissistic asshole. Yeah. He's uh, got a bit of a God complex, I would say. Yeah. So, yeah, he's just another character in this very uh, convoluted plot. He's an important character. He's a big, big, big player. So uh, he was, Bill was 59 at the time and had lived in Erie his whole life. At first, he just seemed like a random dude that happened to live near the tower. The media actually asked him if they could go through his yard and he agreed allowing him them the, the media to film parts of his property and it seemed as though bill had nothing to hide less than a month after the murder of brian wells bill rothstein made a 911 call in this call he stated that there was a body in a freezer at 86 45 peach street rothstein claimed that the person that put the body in the freezer was marjorie deal armstrong that is okay. a lie ish (laughs) (laughs) very soon after this 911 call bill was in police custody he told the cops that he had been distraught for weeks even contemplating suicide he went so far as to write a suicide note which the police did find in his home Uh, the note consisted of an apology to those who cared for or about me and also said that the body in his freezer belonged to Jim Roden. He went on to say that he didn't kill Jim Roden and had nothing to do with his death. The opening line of his suicide note, get this, this has nothing to do with the Wells case. Why would you say that? that because he's so proud of his he accomplishment he that he's, his manifesto is called, this has nothing to do with the Wells case. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. He, so he was very cooperative, open. Uh, During the interrogation, Rothstein told police how he came to have a dead man in his freezer. He uh, told them, yeah. (laughs) Use pulley systems. (laughs) All kinds of uh, smart, simple machines. You you need something. Uh, Smart guy. He is is a smart guy, though. He really is. Bit of a tinkerer. Yes, indeed. We'll find that out. Um, so, yeah. How, how did he come to have a dead man in his freezer? He, he told him that his old girlfriend, Marjorie Deal Armstrong, called him in a panic in mid- mid-August. Uh, Rothstein and Armstrong had dated in the 1960s and 70s. Marge, I'm just going to call her Marge. It's Marjorie Deal Armstrong. We're going to call her Marge. Margie. Margie. Hey there, Margie. Marge told Rothstein that she had shot her live-in boyfriend, Jim Roden, with a 12-gauge shotgun over an argument about money, and now she needed him to help her dispose of his body. Yeah, that's a big problem. 
Yeah. It, what are friends for? Of course he would help her. He can just put the body in his deep chest freezer. No problem, right? No one's going to know. No it's one's going to know. They're going to know. They'll find it. <laughs> Where are your tater tots, Bill? Yeah. <laughs> Some fish sticks in there. <laughs> and uh, there, the body of Jim Roden stayed frozen solid for five weeks. Uh, Rothstein even melted down the murder weapon and scattered the pieces. So he's involved now for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But when Marge suggested that he break down the corpse and grind it up with a meat grinder, he called 911. That was the straw. That's the last. No, wait, we're not doing that. And he was also afraid of what Marge would do to him if she didn't follow his instructions. She's kind of scary. She is horrifying. She will really put scary. you through a fucking meat grinder. She will. Yeah. On September or get 21st. get somebody else to do it for her. Yeah. That's what it is. She's. Yeah. On September 21st, Marge was arrested for the murder of Jim Roden, claiming that it was really Rothstein that had committed the murder. This is just a, I don't want to call it a fun fact, but it is a fact. It took the police four days to thaw the body of Jim Roden out. Like a turkey. Like a turkey. Yeah. You got to have that out by Monday. Depending on. Eat it on Thursday. Yeah. That's rough, man. That's rough. Okay, so let's uh, just take a minute to talk about Marjorie Deal Armstrong. What's Ugh. the deal with Armstrong? <laughs> Where do we begin? Uh, she was born on February 26 in 1949. She had a history of mental illness from a young age. She was narcissistic and had been diagnosed with several disorders, including bipolar disorder and a severe personality, dis- personality disorder. She would have rapid fire mood swings and spoke with a pressured speech. She was very intense. Extremely intense. Very intense. Before her illness progressed, she was an exemplary student and earned a master's degree in education and a bachelor's degree in sociology from Gannon College. She was extremely intelligent and very manipulative. She, yeah. Yeah. She once described herself as being the prettiest girl in town. But as her health deteriorated, so did her mental status and physical appearance. Yeah, once your mental health goes down, your appearance goes down. Let, yeah, let herself go a little bit. And with that uh, went her eyebrows as well. She would shave her eyebrows. I'm not sure why. I, she, it just makes her look scarier, I guess. I don't know, or crazier. It does make her look crazy. It really does. Uh, she didn't have a hard time finding men. Uh, she did, however, have a hard time keeping men. There were five men in her life that she had either killed or had died under strange circumstances. <laughs> five. five. That's a lot of dudes. <clears throat> her uh, first husband died from a fall. He hit his head on a coffee table. Uh, Marge actually ended up suing the hospital for negligence after her husband died. She won. She earned a pretty hefty settlement. She asked the hospital for a piece of her husband's leg bone in case she could ever clone him in the future. I think she should have been a lawyer. You know, if maybe it it might have been a good occupation for her if she had not let. She will just keep talking until you agree with her. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of 
yeah, no, there's a lot of interviews with her and she is, she reminds me of Eileen Warnos, but smarter and more charming. Like she yeah. can be screaming like at if, you. If Warnos had a better grow up, growing up. Yeah. Like she can exactly. be screaming at you and still be charming in a weird way. She, you still mm-hmm. are drawn to her. She's a, a very interesting person. I strongly mm-hmm. suggest going and looking at uh, anything on YouTube with her because you got to see who this this chick that we're talking about is with no eyebrows and it's a mess. So, uh, so he, her first husband, yeah, he died in a fall. Another one of her boyfriends killed himself like the night she moved out and left him. So that's a, a little uh, suspicious as well. Mm. Eh. 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 In 1980s, it could, go either, way. It could go either way. It doesn't, it doesn't look good when they all act. But hitting your head on the table, now that's suspicious. Well, like, okay, well, get this. So in 84, she was 35. She was charged with her first murder. She had claimed that she killed her boyfriend, Robert Thomas, no relation to, uh, you know, What's the, the name of that band? Matchbox 20. Matchbox 20. I, I hate saying, I actually still listen to Matchbox 20 to this day. I, it's so I... good. It was the first cassette I ever had. Remember? <gasps> I love Matchbox. My first cassette I ever had was Hootie and the Blowfish. That if that's good... not, it was like 95. If that's not the sign of the times. It's... Cassette tape, kids. Look it up. Uh, okay, so yeah, she was charged with her first murder. She claimed she killed uh, Robert Thomas in self-defense uh, while he was laying on the couch. She shot this guy six times. She was acquitted of this crime during her trial due to grounds of self-defense. Six times is a lot. That's a, that's a full clip. That's... Or not a clip. Dad would fuck. Oh, would <laughs> dad would be hate mad. Hate me right now. <laughs> It's a it's a round. If what it was it? a six shooter, yeah, <laughs> and you shot it six times, you wouldn't have any more bullets. <laughs> one plus two, plus three, plus one, one plus one, <laughs> plus two, plus one is. <laughs> That's a good clue reference. That is a very good clue reference. So four years after the murder of her you know robert rob robert thomas there her husband richard armstrong died of a brain hemorrhage this was ruled to be accidental even though richard had a head injury when he was taken to the hospital the case was never investigated by the coroners or authorities uh yeah maybe he actually had a brain aneurysm and he was gonna make it and then on the way to the hospital, she's like, eh, like beating <laughs> shit out of him. Like, <laughs> no, you're you're gonna die from a brain aneurysm. I need that insurance money. There's no telling with her. She is diabolical. So she was charged with the murder of Jim Roden, and Rothstein was charged with abuse of a corpse and other small charges. Uh, he would spend a couple years in jail for this. But the whole time, Marge is still insistent she didn't do it, that it was Rothstein that killed Jim Roden and, and put the body in the freezer. She's, she's innocent. Yeah, she's innocent and he's innocent. And they're, they're all innocent. Nobody knows anything. At this time, she was being investigated by authorities as they began to believe that Brian Wells was connected to the death of Jim Roden. And again, Marge immediately pointed the finger at Rothstein saying he was a mastermind behind the whole elaborate plot and had not only killed Jim Roden, but it also killed Brian Wells. 
and that he was a mastermind behind the whole PNC bank heist. Brian Wells was. No, that, uh, see, it's so friggin' confusing. That Rothstein was the mastermind, is what Mark Correct. says. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so many people in this. So you get this, get it, a little confusing. It is. Well, it's we're like about the to real lose. World. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Around uh, this time, Bill Rothstein checked himself into the Mill Creek Hospital. He died a week later from Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he had actually been dying for some time. He had been riddled with cancer. So it's kind of for a long time. So they kind of thought that he knew that he was, he was on his way out. He was terminal and he wanted to go on his own terms. Yeah. So Marge did eventually confess to killing Jim Roden. Remember the body in the freezer. Uh, She said they had a fight about another woman. She did say that she was insane at the time and wanted a plea deal. Uh, during this time, she had a seven-year minimum sentence, and it could she could possibly get off for good behavior. I don't understand why she only got seven years for killing the guy, but that's another thing. Um, after the her sentence was up, she was supposed to be taken to a mental hospital where she could get help. Crime of passion, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Is that a thing? Yeah, you I get mean, a reduced sentence if it's, if you really oh, really mean to kill somebody. I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, there's definitely a difference in like premeditated versus crime of passion. Like if you, yeah, if you, yeah, if you're premeditated, email us like at deadlyserialgmail.com, please. Yeah, please. <laughs> so she um, wrote a letter to the police regarding the heist. Again, she was super manipulative, and she was trying to work with the police in her favor. In the letter, she mentioned her old fishing buddy, Kenneth Burns. He's another guy. Everybody's got an old fishing buddy. Everybody's got an old fishing buddy, I guess. And at this time, the police really didn't think anything of this. And she, they just had an asshole her at this time. So after being ignored by them, she claimed to have more information about the PNC bank heist. She, Mm -hmm. uh, again, implicated Rothstein, claiming that she had proof that he was the main guy. So they're kind of listening to her now. The police had found a letter at Marge's house that she had written to the PNC bank. It was a very angry letter. She had a safety deposit box at the bank where she kept personal items of hers and some valuables. Um, Her dad went to the bank and pulled everything out of the deposit box without her consent, which is kind of fucked up. Yeah, I'm not sure how he does. I'm her dad. I, I'm her dad. Give I me am, her shit. I, I have authority. Yeah, I don't get that. So she understandably like freaked out. I mean, this was her box, deposit box, so he shouldn't have been able to get into it. But they had a really strained relationship. It was not good between the two of them. No. With uh, Rothstein having passed away, their biggest person of interest was gone. Um, They reviewed the video footage they took when walking through Rothstein's hoarded house. There were, we have footage of at least three of these people's houses and they're all hoarders. Yeah. They're all hoarders. Like bad. I I mean, I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, there's hoarders everywhere. There are, but I just thought that was so interesting that they kind of all found each other and that they were all hoarders. Like, it's just, it's crazy. So they all they, get along. They all think the same way, you know, that kind of eccentric, just, yeah. 
yeah just nothing else matters except them very interesting mm-hmm. uh so they reviewed the the footage they took when they were walking through his his house uh and they came across a piece of paper with an arrow written on it so this arrow was written in the same way that the arrow was written on a bomb on the bomb it has a very distinct curve to it it is exactly the same so this led them to matching rothstein's handwriting not only to the bomb but to the actual scavenger hunt notes uh but at this time i mean it was too late he was already gone he's dead yeah. And Marge couldn't seem to help but implicate herself in the PNC heist. Uh, She insisted that she knew about the heist but had no hand in it. Later saying she did supply the kitchen timers that were used in the collar bomb. She also told investigators that she was about a mile away during the bank robbery. She can't help but just like be like, yeah, I, you know, she like a little bit of truth. Yes. Like, I'm she, not going to tell you shit, but I was less than a mile away when yeah, it happened. Yeah, yeah. She even admitted something that surprised investigators. The victim, Brian Wells, was in on it. She stated that he wasn't a victim, but an active participant in the heist, and that Rothstein was the mastermind behind the whole thing. Again, she just, like, anytime Erroneous. you see, every, every single, it's always Rothstein did it, Rothstein did it, Rothstein did it. Every freaking time you see her. Turns out that she was bragging about the crime to just about anyone who would hear it in in jail. Uh, the police were actually able to find four informants who told them that Marge had talked about the crime. One informant kept notes. Yeah. She uh, stated that she, she was had... a smart informant. Yeah. yeah. She were dumb. <laughs> Depending. Like, what, you want proof that you were, you're a rat? Don't look at my notes. I don't know. No, she's just an intelligent person. Yeah. yeah, and then I was thinking, like, okay, so four people came forward. How many other people did she tell that she just didn't like that didn't come forward? That didn't come forward. She must have talked Literally about this to everyone. Else in prison. Exactly. She had to talk to <clears throat> everyone about this. So uh one took notes and said that she had killed um Rodin because he was going to tell about the robbery. That was the freezer, the guy in the freezer. They also told investigators that she had spoke of measuring Brian Wells's neck for the collar bomb. That is weird. Like, let me measure your neck. Hold still. Let me. Me- I mean, yeah, he would have had this to. For? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Are you buying but me a suit? He was that kind of guy. He was. He was. Just... He was naive and easily manipul- manipulated, and probably just stood there while she measured for his the device was going to kill him in front of everyone because can we say that he doesn't he didn't really know that it was real yeah i don't think he did i don't think he did either until it started beeping why else would you agree to it and why else would you walk so casually into a bank robbery and grab a sucker out on the way out collar bomb yeah no i don't think he knew it was real until it started beeping. So at this time, they decide it's time to talk to Ken Barnes, you know, the old fishing buddy. In addition to the hobby of fishing, Ken was a crack dealer by trade. 
he was self-proclaimed cocaine kin. Cocaine kin, love yeah. doing fishing. I feel like if you haven't seen cocaine kin, you already know exactly what he looks like. I know what he looks like, but I've seen him. But I know what you mean. He's kind you know of like I mean? uh, an Elmer Fudd type character. Really? That's how I, was, I, I picture him. I was picturing like maybe a mullet. Definitely okay. a wife beater of some sort. He's got a cigarette in his mouth and he's got another one in his hand where he's about to, he's about to light. Yes. That's it. Perfect. He's thinking ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so stay with me. Ken Barnes and Brian Wells had a connection. They both knew a sex worker named Jennifer. Brian would take Jennifer to get cocaine from Cocaine Ken a lot. Okay, so that's how they were connected. Yeah, she Coca- was really Coca-Nia. addicted to cocaine. At yeah, the time. and he really, really liked that particular um, lady. And yeah. yeah. They had a deal going on. They had a deal. So Ken Barnes told the FBI that Marge was the mastermind. Everybody's like, no, no, it's, <laughs> it's like that meme where Spider-Man's pointing at, <laughs> you know what it's I mean? You. Like, it's you, it's you. It's like, hey. he's the mastermind. Okay, so yeah, she's, he said that Marge was a mastermind, something they had actually come to suspect in previous months because she couldn't shut her mouth. Um, Barnes said that Marge needed to rob the bank because she needed cash to hire Barnes to kill her father. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, she was mad at her father for getting into her deposit box and they had other issues regarding her inheritance. And she was willing to pay $250,000 to Ken Barnes to kill her father, which is why... They needed to rob the bank. In in the book that I read, Maniac, mm-hmm. it talks about how she goes into extreme detail about how he used to molest her, which is a huge deal, right? Yeah, yeah. But then she'll also go back and say that he didn't. You just don't know what to believe when it when it comes to her. Nope. I I don't. She's something else. In February 2006, the FBI finally had enough evidence to bring charges against Marge. She flipped out. She is slamming her hand on the table, cussing at the FBI, cussing at the lawyer. Uh, despite her childish outburst, she cooperated with the FBI and authorities. Um, she took them on the drive of Erie, showing them kind of you know where everything was the day of the robbery. She would flip on a dime, like. Like I said, look her up. She she's really fascinating. She's clearly mentally ill, but captivating. I would say. Can we promote the documentary series? Uh, I think so. I don't think I don't see why not. I mean, watch. Okay. Evil Genius is a really good documentary on Netflix. I've seen it like five times. It's it's a great story. It is really really good. It, it goes into a lot more depth on this, and there's just it's a web. It's a tangled web we weave here. Lots of ins, lots of outs, a lot of what have yous. Little details and just crazy shit. In July of 2007, almost four years after Brian Wells' death, U.S. Attorney announced that the investigation was over. Marge and Barnes, Ken Barnes, were charged with the crime. Rothstein was charged as a conspirator, which he was gone. And they reported that Brian Wells was in on the heist partially, stating that Wells had agreed to rob the bank and that he thought it was a fake bomb, which like we talked about before, you know? 
He was told that the scavenger hunt wasn't real and was only created to throw off the authorities. At some point, and, the, and the bomb's not real either, is what they. Yeah, he, he doesn't think the bomb's real. He doesn't think the scavenger hunt is real. Um, but at some point during all this, he he changed his mind. You know, they they ended up turning on him at some point and making him hostage. Um, they put that collar on him, and that would end his life in such a you know public shocking way. They they got him. So I don't know. I don't know. It's it's very hard. We don't. It's raised so many more questions. Like why would he do this it doesn't make any it really doesn't make sense it's just i bill rothstein's last fuck you like maybe i don't know i, I don't know it, and it needs to be explained yes but this is crazy okay so even more doubt was raised when the fbi concluded that the scavenger hunt was a huge hoax and the bomb was rigged to go off if anyone attempted to remove it or tamper with it when they put that collar on Brian Wells, they knew they were killing him. Yeah. They knew. Oh, yeah. At least Bill did. Yes. Yes. That is a good point. The other ones might not have known, but Bill had built that bomb, they think. So mm-hmm. he knew. And the he fishing knew. buddy, uh, he was going to help him work on it, but he was such a shitty machinist that Bill said, you know what, I'll just take care of all of it. Because Bill's uh, an experienced machinist. Yeah, he he's a very intelligent guy. He tinkers. He saves everything. He hoards everything. Yeah, he kills everybody. Yeah, kills Grab everybody. That's crazy. After the robbery, police officially charged Marge and Ken Barnes with the crime. Marge was offered a plea deal, but she turned it down. On October 15th of 2010, Seven years after the heist and the death of Brian Wells, they finally went to trial. Marge, who had been found competent to stand trial, was sentenced to life in prison plus 30 years on February 28, 2011. Marjorie Deal Armstrong died in 2017 of breast cancer. She maintained her her innocence until the very end. A life sentence. Plus 30 30 years. years. And then she died. Bill Rothstein. I think he's the main bad yeah. guy. He's there's the some, here. I think so too. And there's so much to him. And you, you look at him, he does not look like a evil mastermind. He looks like a, he looks like my uncle Joe. He does. He looks like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Like he'd be at a bluegrass festival, just having the time of his life with his oh, overalls yeah. and yeah, his he's belly. His yeah. His, yeah. But no, he was a piece of shit who strapped a bomb to someone and blew them up. That's so fucked up. That's like and a Ted Kaczynski fucked up. He ruined people's lives and for what? I think probably uh, for his own entertainment more than anything. Pretty much. Yeah. Like not he didn't really want fame or any kind of credit for it. All he wanted was just to have a little fun before he died. Also, I think we can't underestimate the impact that Marge has on men. Oh, I no, mean, absolutely not. These or guys on anybody, will, for that matter. Yeah, these guys will do anything, you know, pretty much anything for her. I mean, yeah, sure, put a freezer or put a body in my freezer, hon. I mean, whoa, like that's Kevin a big Knight. deal. Yes. Like they always come back. Yes. They always come back. Yeah. But she was really good in the sack, and I've heard that Marge 
was not really into sex at all. <laughs> well, that makes me sleep better at night knowing that because she is pretty scary. Yeah. So you can you can sleep well knowing that Marge doesn't like sex. <laughs> she died and in two thousand seventeen. Then broke up. Oh really? Oh yeah. She went into like extreme detail, like oh, he wanted me to suck his dick and I thought it was so perverted, it's disgusting. She and... goes on those rants, man. Yeah, I'm like, oh boy. Yeah, <laughs> TMI, TMI. Yeah. Good God, please stop talking. She's like, when she talks, she like screams at the top of her lungs. It's like, that pressured bipolar mania speech, you know? That's scary. To, it's to very... Feel... Yeah, it's scary to feel. It's scary to be around. It's very um, uncomfortable to, you know, experience either way on either it, side of it. It's a hard thing to live with, too. It is. It is. A, it's a hard thing to live with. And I can't imagine, you know, it's just, it's crazy. But it's entirely possible. Yes. With uh, medication and treatment. Absolutely. It's just like any other uh, disease, you know. No one would fault you for taking medicine for diabetes or epilepsy or anything. So, exactly. We love our dogs and we are pro mental health on this. If you podcast. haven't noticed, those are our flags. Yeah. <laughs> mental health and, and poppers, floofsters. Little pups. Little floofsters. Don't hurt them. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up this week, I think. Please email, email us if you have anything to say, anything to share, anything anything at all. Email us, please. Our inbox is empty and sucks. It's deadlyserial@gmail.com. Deadlyserial at gmail.com. Be kind, please. I'm scared. Or not. I can take it. He can take it. I can't. Be nice. Be nice to her. <laughs> Otherwise, I will not take it very nicely. And... uh we're going to keep on trucking uh, with the podcast. We're having a good time. Things are going good. Give us a subscribe or whatever you listen to us on, you know, a subscribe, a review on Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to do, anything that would help us out. We appreciate it. Um, we, you can also sponsor us. The link is in the description box and we will catch you guys next week. Next week. Have a good one, guys. You guys be safe. Email us up. <laughs> There's the end right there. There's the blooper end. <laughs>